Lisa Frost. There you are. How you doing? Good. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Yeah. Yeah. We took uh, we took last month off um, from doing the art of practice, so I am just so happy to reconvene with you today. And uh, even more happy to meet our special guest today. Why don't you why don't you introduce Barbara for everyone? Yeah, I would love to. Um, yeah, so I'm going to actually welcome Barbara J. Hunt, who is our uh, one of our newest practice leaders on um, the ILP practice platform. And uh, she's an author, facilitator, and coach, and also a forgiveness expert, um, which is really great. Uh, so definitely in the cleanup kind of area of uh, practice. Uh, as we as we like to tag it, um, Barbara is co-founder of Leading Beyond Ego, and she's also a um, therapist at Vital Detox. So those are some places that you may know her from. Um, but she's also written a book that is called uh, Forgiveness Made Easy: The Revolutionary Guide to Moving Beyond Your Past and Truly Letting Go, um, which was one of the things that really caught my eye about Barbara. Uh, forgiveness is something very close to my heart. Um, I've also done some sessions that deal with that particular topic. So I'm super duper excited uh, to bring Barbara on and to talk about forgiveness today. Hi, Barbara. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for inviting me to be part of the ILP. Very exciting. Oh, it's very exciting to have you. And, you know, I got to say, I am, I am just like Lisa. I'm very, very um, excited for this topic, not just because, you know, forgiveness practice is a practice that's always been um, very important for me in my own sort of path and practice, but also because, you know, this, this one practice in particular feels like such a, well, it's sort of a panacea in so many ways. It, it, it's not only sort of an empowering practice for the individual to engage with, but it's, it, it creates a certain kind of leverage that helps us, I think, navigate, better navigate and better make sense of some of the cultural currents that we're all kind of awash in today. You know, so much of, of our modern Western culture today looks something like a grievance culture, or maybe we could call it an apology culture, you know? And I think one of the main challenges that we have sort of, again, navigating this grievance culture that we're in right now is we don't have any fundamental practices of forgiveness to, to support that grievance culture. It's one thing to point fingers and demand apologies. It's another to actually know how to practice genuine forgiveness. Um, so I think that this is such an important talk, both both in terms of our individual spiritual practices, but also just how we relate to each other in this larger cultural space and how we can actually make more space um, for each other as we're interacting with each other and as we, you know, inevitably find ourselves in conflict and um, and so forth. So this is going to be, I think, a very rich and valuable discussion for all of us. Yeah, wonderful. I totally agree with you about how it's almost like it's time has come. Yeah. I feel like like this is the new mindfulness. Forgiveness is the new mindfulness. We've all got, yeah, mindfulness. We got that. Yeah. Forgiveness is the next master practice. I, I do consider it a master practice because it's so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why don't we talk about that a little bit? So what makes forgiveness so difficult? I mean, I love the title of your book, Forgiveness Made Easy. And it's, you know, I think for a lot of people, they hear the word forgiveness and it sounds almost trite or cliche, like, oh, I know how to do that. But 
you know, the do you, I think is the question. Like, do you really know how to fully authentically forgive? So why don't you yeah. tell us a little bit about um, some of those difficulties and challenges? Sure. Well, in, in, in my book, I, I outlined the five major obstacles. The first one of which is actually having a definition of forgiveness that works because like you said it's we have we think we know what it is it's a bit vague um we think it means probably you know saying it's okay or letting people off the hook or you know not pursuing justice you know there's 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 a lot of vagueness about it and we think certain things have to happen in order for it to, for, for forgiveness to happen the other you know the perpetrator would need to apologize at least if not you know be punished you know so we have ideas in our minds about what what actually forgiveness is and so i to make it easy um i use a really specific definition in the book which is which comes from k bradford brown who created the mortal life organization um, many years ago and, and that's like personal development spiritual development training and he said that forgiveness is the absolute refusal to hold ill will against someone or something for what they did or didn't do. So I just say it again, because it's, it's, it's really important. This, if you, if you kind of get this bit, it helps the whole of the rest of it get really easy. So forgiveness is the absolute refusal to hold ill will against someone for what they did or didn't do. And that sort of in some ways turns the definition of forgiveness into the upper left quadrant. And it means it's about us and our, our relationship with our resentment. And so, so I, I mean, I can, I can talk more about um, the different obstacles if you want, but I, but I don't know if you want to say anything about that, whether or not that rings. I, it rings like a bell for me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and it, 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 I think it, it shows me that this is shadow work. That's not just sort of on the surfaces of our consciousness. I mean, this is deep kind of soul based shadow work. I mean, you're, you're, you're basically trying to get residue out of the absolute deepest parts of yourself. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and one of the other things that you have to do in order to do that is to admit that you're holding the resentment in the first place mm -hmm. and culturally it may be slightly different in America, but the Brits are very um, repressed about their feelings and so to actually get someone to admit that they're resenting someone we often say things like oh no i'm just disappointed or you know we have we have sort of like nicer ways of saying i really hate them or you know they really you know ruined my life you know we're, we're kind of like well no i i know they were doing the best they could but i don't see them ever you know so it's kind of like so we have all these sort of like cultural ways of of, of hiding our resentment and and not dealing with it because we don't talk about it. I love that you were just um, painting some pictures about what ill will means, because I think that that's like the next step, right? So we have a, we have a working definition of forgiveness, but yeah. what are we really talking about when we say ill will? Yeah, a really good question. So I would say from the little grudges, like the little everyday, you know, please put the, the lid on the toothpaste, uh, you know, the little grudges, gripes, grievances, right the way through to resentment, like proper, like, I, I'm not going like, to, it's affecting my behavior. I'm not going to speak to that person or I'm not going to do, you know, what they asked me or, you know, I'm, I'm actually holding ill will in my body. And then right through to um, vendettas and, mm -hmm. and war. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about the, tr the, the, the span it starts off just just little things. I mean, I, I do this kind of like 
when I'm when I'm teaching the in workshops, like the, the little things that people do, we have kind of like a collection of um, you know the things that you did wrong. You know, this what time you were late, and that time you annoyed me and said that thing about my mother, and that was the time. You know, and we kind of collect these, and then we have a, you know a little collection of our little grievances and grouches, and most of the time we don't talk about them because they don't really matter, but they build up over time, mm. and eventually you get sort of like armfuls of stuff. You know, and then you kind of wonder why you're feeling a lot of stress in your body and why and why your life's not working because you, you're never looking about what, what you're carrying. And so that's why the Brad Brown version of I'm refusing to hold the ill will is me doing that. Mm. Wow. I, I just got chills when you did that because I can feel the actual visceral feeling of letting it go as, as though they're physical objects, like letting go of the weight, yeah. um, letting go of the, the stress, like you named um, other, other emotions, right? Even, even the things like disappointment or feeling betrayed or, you know, these things that we carry with us for so, I mean, it could be an entire lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, what I felt. Us, this is how we die. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I had this visual of myself like carrying around this like Santa sack full of resentments that, yeah. <laughs> that have accumulated exactly. over the decades. And you know, oftentimes exactly. when you when when it gets to that point where these where these things have actually slipped into, you know, the unconscious and they manifest to us as full on resentments, it can be hard to sort of dig underneath because it starts to feel so vague it's just like i don't know why i don't like you i just know i don't like you right you can't even yeah. necessarily point out all the individual sort of transgressions that culminated into this feeling of resentment all i know is i have this dull kind of heavy feeling that i carry around with me and it makes it a bummer to hang out with you and you know and so i think a lot of people struggle to know how you know how can i actually unroot that how can i get beneath that and and start you know cleaning the mirror of my perception so that i don't hold you in shadow yeah exactly exactly and i think some of it is, is this is this is such an unfamiliar action that the putting the letting go because normally we we want stuff like mm -hmm. you know we have mm -hmm. things or we're doing things there's this sort of like there's this this is the gesture whereas the letting go is is like it's it's the opposite direction and we don't got nothing you know it's like we're giving up a habit yeah. it's, it's it's the it's the opposite of what feels like well what am, what am i going to have if i don't have my resentment anymore right. and that's that's the thing to look at is that so one of one of the other obstacles is is about vulnerability. We don't want to be vulnerable, and and although this doesn't look like a particularly good kit, I actually can defend myself quite adequately with it because it protects my heart. Mm. And and so we're getting things out of carrying our resentment, and they're usually also part of the shadow work. We we're not conscious about what why why are we holding the resentment like you just said. We don't really know why we're holding it, but we are. Right. And it feels it feels risky this this feels like a really dangerous move yeah i lose yeah. my moral superiority as soon as i set these things down right? exactly. I, exactly i can That's i can so no delicious. longer sort of yeah yeah the moral high ground is one of the biggest payoffs that we hold our resentment because mm. because you know, we think that the universe depends on our you know if we if we kind of keep the moral high ground then everything will be you know the way it should be 
as opposed to you know our, our claiming the moral high ground actually robs us of our humanity and our you know our honesty yeah it's like closely akin to the need to be right <laughs> exactly yeah we, we, the ego loves to be right more than anything yeah yeah, I love that. I think that, um, you know, first of all, I, I think that this, like Corey was saying at the very beginning, I mean, the, the, this work is so incredibly deep. Um, and it's also, um, it's, it's very emotional. It's very emotional work. Um, it's not, you know, in my experience, I mean, I uh, actually, I'll share, I'll share a story real quick. Um, I had an experience where I was supporting my mother with her um, dying husband. And my mother and I had a very difficult relationship as I was growing up. And she had been, I had, I had exited the relationship for years. Um, and then suddenly I got a call from her when she needed support around this. And so um, this went on for a couple of weeks. And then he was, he was on his deathbed and I was sitting across his body from her. Um, we were getting ready to turn off the machines and she was having to make this very, very difficult decision. And in that moment, um, I saw her differently than I ever had before. Mm. And it, it, the, the feeling that I had was like a huge bucket um, that was filled suddenly got overturned and dumped out oh, wow. and it was all of the resentments that i've been carrying for my whole life felt like that that it just it was all suddenly dumped out and it was such an amazing profound moment of grace um that isn't to say that i was able then to not allow that bucket to fill back up <laughs> with new things. I had to work through that. But in that moment, I had such a profound feeling of exactly what you're talking about, of the laying down of all of that stuff and just so much more access to myself um, as a result of that. Um, and, and yes, it felt like uh, the vulnerability immediately came up, um, but, it, uh, but I didn't have fear around it. And it's almost like prior to that, there'd been fear of fear of, of being afraid mm. <laughs> of, of vulnerability, right? Mm. Does that make sense? It's like two steps removed, mm -hmm. but, but it was, you know, I, I was scared to be vulnerable. Uh, I was scared of feeling scared of being vulnerable. And, um, and in that moment when everything just released like that, it was actually like coming home to myself is the way that I experienced it. Um, it felt like a profound gift. And that, that is actually what got me very, very interested in the topic of forgiveness. Um, yeah. That's a beautiful share. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And, and I think it's a really important point because sometimes we, we can forgive. It's almost like there is some kind of grace to it. The mm -hmm. circumstances allow the bucket to empty and you're right about it then fills up again. And that's, and that's why I really recommend that, that forgiveness is a practice. That's why it's so brilliant to be part of your ILP toolkit because you need to keep doing it. It's not, you know, you don't just go to the hygienist once or, you know, just take your bins out once. It's, you know, it's a, it's a repeat thing. And um, even, even if you've done profound work or there's been grace, like in your case, Lisa, which is a very beautiful thing and that does happen. But I think my, my book was more really for the times when that doesn't happen. You know, the things yeah. that you can proactively do to, to deal with your resentment. Yeah. yeah. 
other yeah. thing I'm noticing just as we're talking is how, you know, again, when we really kind of slow time down and we, we introspect and we actually look at, you know, what lights up for us or what intelligences are required in order for us to forgive. And it's actually a fairly complex process that requires a whole slew of intelligence that are sort of always ticking, you know, underneath sort of the hood of our consciousness. We have, you know, there's, it requires a cognitive intelligence just to be able to frame the problem. Here's the challenge, here's the transgression, et cetera. There's an intrapersonal consideration where it's like, here's how I self-report. Here's how, you know, this resentment feels for me. Here's, you know, how it feels when I release resentment. There's an interpersonal aspect of this. There's a moral and ethical aspect of this. There's even a spiritual intelligence that can come into play here. I mean, so this is, you know, forgiveness, again, it's one of these deceptively simple words that carries so much abundance with it. And yet it's got all of these moving parts. I mean, the beams and struts of an actual um, forgiveness practice, it is, it is drawing on so much of our accumulated intelligence um, yeah. and, and all facets of our being. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why I think of it as a master spiritual practice yeah. or secular ethics practice. Because the, the other thing I was really trying to do with my book as well was to make it secular, even though I do have a, you know, my, I have a mm -hmm. spiritual belief, you know, as in, you know, I, you know, we, I believe that there's, there's more to life than just, you know, what the scientists say. But if you, if you're only meeting it as a, as a relational t topic, that you can, you don't have to have a belief in that there's anything greater than that. It can just mm -hmm. be a relational thing. And that, that was the other thing that I found was very challenging when I was doing a bit of research. Most of the forgiveness material that's out there is either Christian, which is fair enough, because mm -hmm. Jesus was the master, you know, the master teacher. And, mm -hmm. I, and in fact, the, the, the piece that I always bring forward that he taught was when people said, how many times do I need to forgive? Um, he said, 70 times seven which is, that's the equivalent, you know, like the Zen 10,000, you know, right. is that, that's like, just keep going. Keep we going. didn't have a whole lot of numbers back then. So it was <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We either had 70 times seven or 10,000. That was those <laughs> the, the options. Yeah. Um, so, so there's, there's the sense of, of it being, it, I mean, it does show up in all major religious traditions in one form or another. And my background was um, as a, I was brought up in the Roman Catholic tradition. So the, the act of confession definitely informed the way I put the, the forgiveness practice together. Mm. And um, because I think that, that the fact that we now don't have rituals, like you were saying, Corey, we don't, we don't have opportunities to do this kind of work unless, you know, we're engaged in something like the ILP, but, you know, like in our, in our daily lives, what do you do with your resentment? You just end up avoiding people, not going to weddings, you know, kind of like just not speaking to certain members of your family or, you know, I mean, often, I mean, in fact, I'm at that sort of point in my life where lots of people who I know their parents had, have died and then there's complete rifts in the family once they read out the will or one you know one family member's got the house and won't sell the, you know it's like that can fracture families and and it's it's not it's not that that does it it's the accumulated and unresolved resentment that does it mm. yeah beautifully said yeah. beautifully said so I guess one of the questions I have is how do we square genuine forgiveness practice? Let me just come up with a scenario. So, you know, let's say we have a couple 
the couple are, are engaged in relationship work with each other. They're genuinely committed, right, to, to moving forward and to figuring out where the resent, resentments lie, bringing that into consciousness, sharing it, inhabiting it, and then ultimately sort of releasing it. But how do people actually navigate that when they're not familiar necessarily with that emotional terrain? When, again, when we have two people in a situation, they have an accumulated resentment for each other. How can they dislodge themselves from that resentment while also squaring that resentment with a real accountability, right? Because it's not, it's not enough to say, oh, you're, you're forgiven, whatever, let's move on. Like if things, there's also an expectation of, of some degree of transformation, some degree of accountability. How do we square that? Um, yeah. either in, in relationship with someone else or just in terms of our own practice? Yeah, that's, that's a great question, actually. And, and I think some of it is to do with separating the, um, there's, I think there's like two parts to it. So the first part, so if I was to work with a couple, I'd work with them individually first because your, your resentment is about you. You know, the, mm -hmm. these things, you know, if I resent you, you know, because you wear pop socks, which was, I resented my mother for wearing pop socks, that's to do with me. That's not to do with her. You know, it's like, that's, that's very personal to me. And I, she doesn't need to know that I resent her pop socks. You know, it's like, that. The, so, so there, I think there's a discernment. So when you do, you, so I would, so what I would do is I would get each of them to do their forgiveness work. You know, like I have a seven step forgiveness made easy process. Um, and so I'd have them do that individually. And then there might be one thing, just one thing, which is, you know what, when, when you don't look me in the eye, you know, just before, you know, you know, just trying, you know, take me up to the bedroom, you're not looking me in the eye, I feel like we're not connected. And that's really important. And can we do something about that? Is that so you so you you maybe choose the thing. And, and there's another process I talk about sometimes called the panning for gold, where you're looking at the meaning you're giving things. And then and then you're looking for what's actually true and then you're able to say this is the thing that actually is is bugging me the most all the other stuff i can just let go and it doesn't mean that the other person shouldn't be accountable and because that is also really important but that's but your forgiveness whether or not i carry ill will is not dependent on whether or not you apologize because it mm -hmm. can't be because otherwise i'm gonna be just here waiting forever you know that's it i'm waiting you're not apologizing that's it. Right. I'm waiting. And, and you just keep waiting, 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 waiting. And then so so that's why it can't be dependent on whether or not the other person apologizes, which is, again, is another counterintuitive thing. We think, well, they should apologize. But actually, they don't really know about my secret resentment of the pop socks. You know, how can they apologize for that unless I tell them? And then, right. you, you know, and then there's other things that are more important, really, than pop socks. But um apparently. Uh, but um, so I so I have to I have to choose what I'm going to then communicate and 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 let them, you know, and, and then we can have a conversation about what what is working. And, you know, there's going to be, you know, like there may be old unresolved material that is nothing to do with the current relationship. And we used we used right. to have this saying on the retreats on vital details retreats, we used to say, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Our ways of relating are always to do with our early life. And so that's why it's so worth your while. And that's one of the things I, why I got in contact with you, Lisa, in the first place was because you so beautifully wrote, there comes a time in everyone's personal spiritual development when they need to forgive their parents. And I completely agree. 
I think it's essential work in your, you know, and, and I, I also, I've been really reflecting lately as well. I think forgiveness is towards the end of your personal development, you know, like your therapeutic work towards the end of the healing journey. I think there's a lot of stuff that has to happen first. If, I mean, it doesn't have to, but it tends to be that way or there's, or there's grace, but it, but it's usually you've held the resentment for a long time. And then finally you're going, I think I've had enough. Mm. I think I need to get rid of it. You know, I would agree with you. I think that that's, you know, as I reflect back on my own journey, it was like, I had to go through all the stuff around taking personal responsibility, being in integrity, working through, you know, my part in a variety of things, understanding that, you know, we're all coming from our own perspectives, understanding that we're all coming from levels of development. Like there was so much that had to take place first before I could ever get to a place of, oh, okay, I can see where my mother's level of development is. I understand where she's coming from now. I understand that ultimately she was doing the best that she could. It's not just a cliche, like she actually was. Mm -hmm. And um, with the tools that she had and this and the development that she had, that was what she had access to. Um, and um, and I can also see how uh, how my holding the resentment was my responsibility. Like that that was what I did. Like that was even though it never felt like a choice, right? For my whole childhood, once I became an adult. It was, it was a choice to continue to hold on to it, even though it didn't feel like it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so going through all of that and coming to a place of first, the moment of grace, and then, and then eventually my mom actually had cancer and I had to support her. I remember the day, I remember the day she told me she had stage four um, cancer and, uh, and I was furious. Mm -hmm. I was furious. And I was like, wow, that doesn't seem like an appropriate <laughs> response. Um, and and uh, in that moment, I recognized that the bucket had indeed filled back up and that I had, um, I had been holding on to all of these things in this idea that one day my mother would apologize um, and that that was unlikely to happen. And especially now given this diagnosis, um, and that I had to be the one who to support her through it. And there was no way that I could actually bring to the table in that moment, all of my grievances, like it was the most inappropriate possible time as she's fighting cancer. Um, and, and in order for me to support her through it, I actually had to seek help. Um, so I did from a spiritual counselor around forgiveness um, to, to deal with that because I knew exactly, because I'd had that moment of grace, I knew exactly at that moment, oh yeah, this is, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, right. And I, and I love what you're saying, Lisa, because actually that's my story. My story about my first epiphany about forgiveness was realizing that I resented my mum for being ill. She had multiple sclerosis from the time I was 15. And that significantly impacted the family. By the time I was 18, I was wheeling her in a wheelchair, you know, around the corner to the shops and stuff. And then by 21, I'd taken a year off university to look after her, my brother and my dad, um, because they weren't coping. And so, but if you'd asked me if I resented her, I would have gone, no, you know, of course not. She's my mom, you know, and it was, and it was only when I got to the point when I was like, God, I really did resent it. I resented the impact it had. I was ashamed of the fact that she was disabled 
I didn't want my friends to come around from school, you know, to see her. I was embarrassed, you know. So, so that, so I think, you know, like we really are talking about the shadow, the mm. the shame that you have. You know, how could you know, like, how could you possibly feel angry about your mom's diagnosis? Of course, you know, like, but you do, and that, and that's what you know. Opening this whole subject out means that we get to admit our resentment, and we get to admit our humanity about that because we do resent each other, and and. If you think about resentment as just being where things bifurcate, you know, it's like you want things to be different from the way they are. And that and that's sort of like that's your resentment is wishing things were different. I mean, that's that's the you, you asked at the beginning, actually, yeah. Corey, and, and in some ways it's that. So it can be little things we want differently or like, you know, like culturally at the moment, um, maybe big things we want different. Yeah. And that, that's the extent of our resentment. I, I, I just, I just want to say, I, so, I so resonate with this. I mean, a lot of, you know, um, this, it often feels like familiar territory for me, having gone through, um, my daughter's medical challenges, you know, and not that I've ever held on to a particular, you know, it's a, it's a little bit harder to resent a, a little kid for having health. You know, there's an innocence there with that kind of deflects any sort of projection of resentment you're going to have, but I resent everything surrounding it. I resent yeah. not knowing where this illness came from. I resent um, my fears that it's my own genetics that is creating suffering for this child. It's, you know, there's any number of sort of targets for my blame. And I can feel how seductive it is to try to hold on to that because somehow that feels better than not knowing, right? Somehow that feels better than the vulnerability of releasing and just sort of dealing with reality as it presents itself. No, there's still a part of me that wants things to that you know to be different. There's still that sort of immature part of me. It's like this isn't fair. You know what I mean? There's all of that um, comes up for me as I as I deal with these challenges, and it it makes me ha you know it's funny. As soon as those resentments start kind of inching closer and closer to my daughter herself, that's when I can kind of catch myself. You know what I mean? That's when I can kind of see like, okay, there, I have a lot I need to release right now. I have a lot I need to let go of because I can't let this interfere with that relationship. You know Absolutely. what I mean? And I can Absolutely. see how it, how it could. It's a little bit different with your parents. You know, I, 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 I feel like um, forgiving your parents is sort of a rite of passage into adulthood, into genuine adulthood. And I someday hope to make it to that gate. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, I, I'm kidding. But, you know, I've noticed that, like, as I've begun to refer to myself as like a grown up, as I begin to feel more like a grown up, I can actually track my relationship with my parents and how it's transformed both explicitly and sort of implicitly, unconsciously, um, and how much better that relationship is now because I had to let go of things. Yeah. You know, you hit a certain point of your of your own maturity. And it's like, you know, it's simply a matter of practicality. I just don't have time to you know, be all worked up over this crap anymore. I got to let it go. I've yeah. got to let it go. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the, the final point, Lisa, I just want to mention, um, you know, I loved how you're talking about, you know, one of the things that Integral brings with it is a great deal of understanding, right? Like all of a sudden we can see the levels and the lines and the states and the types and all of that with, with both in ourselves and in the people around us. And with that understanding, I think comes, you know, implicitly this, 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 I think, desire to forgive, right? Mm -hmm. Ken often talks about integral as being psychoactive, largely because integral theory comes with a mirror. You can't talk about integral theory without also sort of reflecting and seeing how this lands 
within you and within your relationships. And there's a piece I feel like that's almost automatic. It's almost automatic. Once you notice this stuff in other people around you, that makes the channels of forgiveness that much easier, I think, for us to, to, to locate and for us to cultivate and to enrich and to, you know what I mean? Because it's like, at least you have that distance of understanding, right? Yeah. I can look back and be like, my parents were, you know, idiots when they were 25, just like I was an idiot when I was 25 <laughs> and mistakes were made. And, you know, there's, there's an understanding. And I think that that forgiveness, I think this speaks to, to Barbara, how you're presenting forgiveness as sort of this master practice. It feels like an automatic response that comes hand in hand with this type of understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like what you're saying about a rite of passage, because in some ways, I think we need it to be that because mm -hmm. we need to take it seriously. And that and that's why I created the 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 step by step process so that there was something that we could actually do that said, OK, I actually this is I now I do really need to do this forgiveness work on this person. And my own practice is to keep a little note in the back of my book of the things or the people that I'm resenting, you know, because, like, you know, I do my work and then I just oh no, I'm resenting them again. And so they go back on my list and I'll take the time to do my work. Sometimes I'll do it when I'm out walking. Sometimes I'll do it, you know, when I'm in bed, sometimes I'll just sit down and do it you know it's, it's it's kind of like but having a way of doing it having a ritual can be another another really helpful thing because I think that's the other thing if you're waiting for grace or well I think I've forgiven them you know it's kind of it's all very vague whereas if you sat down and you've done a process then you've done your very best job to to actually engage with that material and to let it go mm. and um and I just wanted to add something that to what you were saying earlier Corey because um about feeling like you around your 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 um Charles um um medical situation is that when we don't have power resentment is it feels like power mm. it's the power of the powerless yes and and so it, it feels like we've got something because because we can't control the situation but it feels like we've got something and again it's this very kind of like weird sort of like sense of the un the undoing is it's very unfamiliar it's like putting your car in neutral and then it's it's not going forward or backwards and it has that same, I mean, to me, it's very um, like there's a resonance with with meditation practice mm. because it's the same non-doing that, you know, we find almost impossible to not do anything. Yeah. You know? So and it's the same with the with the resentment. Yeah. Yeah, I really. I agree. What you're saying, actually, you know, uh, what it sparks for me is that, um, of course, we've been talking a lot in America about hatred um in a variety of ways uh over the last uh four years <laughs> and um uh and hatred is also uh a, a, a feeling of power for for powerlessness um and holding on to resentments is the thing that feeds the, is, is is the thing that feeds hatred yes, yes. um and so it's interesting how all of that is tied together and it's that fear of being vulnerable um, but it does, it feels like hating feels powerful, mm -hmm. um, even though what's actually happening is it's, it's not even, it's, it's masking our ability to, um, to be with the present moment in the way that it actually is. It's, um, it's, it's pulling us away from our true nature. Um, it is dividing us from a variety of things, not just the object of our hatred, um, so there's, there's all kinds of ramifications. Yeah. Yeah. I loved how you also, oh, go ahead. Go on. No, go ahead. 
was going to say, I also love how you linked shame um, because shame is such a huge precursor um, to some of those feelings. And I was also reflecting on how shame can show up and, and, it sh- and it can show up in ways that we are kind of unaware that it's actually shame. Um, but what pop- popped for me is like, even in that moment when I had those thoughts of, I was, you know, furious with my mom for having cancer. Um, then the thought behind that was what kind of person mm. <laughs> would be furious with their parent for having cancer. So that's the shame thing. Like what kind of person would do that? That's the shame question. Yeah. Yeah. And then then, shame in that same moment. Yeah. And and then needing to engage with self-forgiveness, which is another thing that people like, just like, how do you do that? You know, how how does that happen? Yeah. And also the thing about hate though, I, I, I do ask this question sometimes in when I do talks about it, which is how is your hate helping? Because it doesn't change anything, you know? And, and also if you think about, if you let you really hate someone, you really extra hate them extra, like nothing's different. You know, it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how much, you know, it's like, and, and that, and that's the thing again about, you know, wanting, if it feels like, we we are we have an agency over the other that our resentment somehow does something and there's some really wonderful quotes one of my favorite ones is resentment carrying resentment is like setting yourself on fire and hoping the other person will be bothered by the smoke you know which is which is great because it just gives that real sense of like that you're you're a ghost in their world i mean you're the one writhing around and they're on your mind first thing in the morning and you're you're thinking you saw somebody wore the same hat on the bus you know it's kind of like we're ones like it's it's an internal like self-combustion engine that's driving us insane and they're just you know off doing whatever they're doing but that just makes me hate them more Exactly, and then you have to ask yourself, but is that is that helping? Apart right. from you know giving yourself a you know a hernia and a you know high blood pressure and well and even more right. I mean, what we're essentially doing is we're creating a toxic environment internally, yeah. um, and it's all of these these emotions in their intensity that creates so much of the illness that we see. I mean, it creates you know the toxic emotions create um, inflammation in the body, right. um, which creates disease states. So yeah, so it's all linked. Exactly. I find find myself wanting to forgive (laughs) the challenges that people have around forgiveness, because I also know that sometimes these reactions, these shadows, right, are oftentimes perfectly appropriate coping strategies for a very brutal reality that is, you know, inflicting itself on us in all sorts of ways. And sometimes it takes us a little bit of time to metabolize our challenges and get to a point where we can forgive. So, you know, I I think I say that because I feel like there's also sort of a, let's just call it a green altitude kind of sentimental forgiveness that can oftentimes creep in here, which again, is sort of like forgiveness without accountability. It's just sort of like, oh no, everything's cool. Let's just get back to coolness. Let's just get back to like being okay with each other as quickly as we can, because that's more comfortable than conflict. Right. And there's there's I think there's a, a, another kind of forgiveness, which doesn't necessarily shy away from conflict and mm-hmm. doesn't shy away from, you know, these sort of funny ideas of strength and weakness that we've that we've um, yeah. inherited in our culture. Yeah. Um, and I think that that can be a little bit tricky for people as well, because sometimes sometimes the only thing that's going to get you from point A to point B is sort of the 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 
the vapors of hatred <laughs> that are left in your tank that's just you know getting you through the day until you can finally set these things down so yeah. I, I there's a part of me that's like can we forgive other people's lack of forgiveness mm-hmm. and it's yeah, like well, sometimes yeah 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 and it's a good point because i think there's a, a sort of a ladder of readiness and mm. if you are like i think even um the functions of your brain, if you are furiously angry with somebody, something has just happened and you're furiously angry, you can't actually get the the neural pathways working for the ones that help you to forgive. So this is it's almost like the brain phases. You, you need you need to have had the angry phase, if you like, before you mm-hmm. get to the point that you're actually willing and ready to forgive. And I think there there is sometimes there's a tendency to do the spiritual bypass mm-hmm. and that's or to forgive very quickly. And I think there's a, a ladder of readiness. So you go from I'm never going to forgive them for that to I I know I should forgive them, but it was unforgivable. I want to forgive them. I'm getting ready to forgive them. You know, like there's, there's mm-hmm. a sort and then I want to, I don't know how to, I can, I will, I do, you know, it's, there's a, there's a sort of, there's a, a gradient of, of, of approach, you know, and, and grace like happened with you, Lisa, as well. Mm. That sometimes happens. Um, but I think if you're furiously angry with someone that it's very hard and I wouldn't even recommend it, I would say, have your anger when you're ready, when you're bored of your anger, when it's eaten enough of your insides, um, then, then, you know, and, and, and like you say, Corey, that there is an accountability part that, which is why, you know, with the, your, with your resentments, you might want to bring the thing that right. you say, actually, and, and sometimes people, you know, like it, you, you do need to litigate, you might need mm-hmm. to divorce, but you can do it. You don't have to divorce, you know, like, I hate you. Right. You, can, you can do the conscious uncoupling, which right. is we, our relationship has come to this point. I'm not holding any ill will against you and you're not holding any ill will against me, but I don't want to be with you anymore. Yeah. Different. Yeah, yeah. it really is. Really different. And there's not a whole lot of models for that kind of, that kind of thing out there in the world. Um, it feels like, you know, what we see in the media and what we see on television and in movies and wherever else that the major models we have are you must hate the person in order to separate. Um, You know, it's all based in hatred. Um, And we see this in in the news and in various other environments like the political environments that we've been, you know, in the US for sure. Um, It's, there's these, in order to divide anything, there has to be some sort of you know, energy behind it that is. Yeah. 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 And, and that's why I call it the revolutionary guide, because this, I mean, truly forgiveness is an act of rebellion, amnesty for all humanity. I mean, I really do think that, that the potential for forgiveness is phenomenal because technically, if everybody chose to do their forgiveness work, which they could, you'd probably get everybody you ever resented done in two weeks. So we could technically have global peace in two weeks if we wanted it. I mean, it's not obviously not going to happen, but that's the maths, you know, like that's, that is the potential for if everybody does their forgiveness work. So it is the ultimate rebellion. It's the ultimate act of power because you, because, because you are saying, I am not holding any ill will in my heart and you can't make me. It's almost like if you try and like put that bottle in my hands and I'm like this, there's nothing you can do. That's going to make me carry my resentment if I choose. I'm not going to. So that that is awesome power. 
and and you know and 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 spiritual liberation because because it you you recognize that you are the one who's choosing what's in your heart and so if you choose to make your heart a garden of peace and then it really is an act of amnesty for humanity every time you do your forgiveness work which is why it's a master spiritual practice yeah and it's not it's not fun i think that's the thing <laughs> all the movies i mean what's more fun resentment and hate and you know it's yeah. clickbait isn't it you know like that there's more you know you get more clicks on a news item that's like oh you know this that and the other rather than you know someone's forgiven someone yeah you know that does happen and but also i think one of the other things that i often talk about is the the exemplars of forgiveness are often they seem like they're way outside of our um, something that you can relate to, you know, like someone's child is murdered and then they go on and, you know, the parents forgive the perpetrator. I mean, extraordinary acts of grace and forgiveness, but hard to relate to when you just think, well, I'm, you know, I, I, I had one time when I was on one of the retreats, two clients, one who had been severely abused as a child and as an adult, and another one who'd had a family member insult her at a wedding. And guess which one had the hardest trouble forgiving? Mm. The wedding one. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's you know that that that, that so that so the so the so our ability to forgive is is dependent really on the meaning that we're giving everything again, which we're not usually questioning. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, and I love how you um, briefly mentioned sort of the the selection pressures that we encounter in the lower right quadrant, where we live in a media space where there are a number of selection pressures out there that are all, you know, basically designed to exacerbate division and resentment and hatred and so forth. Because the minute that gets resolved with forgiveness, you've lost an audience and you've got to come up with a new clickbait headline to get people. So this yeah. is actually how we are self-organizing in the lower right quadrant and then all of this is just made worse by sort of the epistemic bubbles that social media has brought with us where now it's turned into just full-on tribal you know warfare between opposing clans and i mean and all of this again is incentivized there are real financial incentives in the lower right quadrant to keeping people sort of divided like this that's right and if there was sort of you know the, 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 if the secret of forgiveness was to get out, that would be the end of a whole lot of business models out there. And I don't want to, I don't want to present this in a way that like there's one guy on top of the hierarchy that's doing all of this to us. Again, they're just self sort of self-organizing selection pressures that happen to exist in today's media space. This will be different 20 years from now, but as of today, this is where we are. And this is sort of, we have to bring some extra consciousness to this, right? Because we are immersed in media and information 24 hours a day that's telling us to hate somebody. Somebody yeah. out there is worthy of our derision. It reminds me of, you know, back in the 80s, it was all about sex sells, right? It's like now it's division that sells, <laughs> you yeah. know, now it's hatred that sells. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, and again, that's, you know, that's, that's another option that we have is to, you know, whatever your political or, you know, cultural persuasions is to not hate the other side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and, and I, I guess that's one of the wonderful things about the integral worldview is that you're actually seeing the rightness of, you know, wherever people are at mm. and, um, you know, taking a stand on what really matters.
It's one yeah. of the two stories that I think could actually fix political wokeism as we see it today. If we could just introduce the concept of forgiveness and introduce the concept of development, then this is going to help, I think, you know, resolve a lot of the performative contradictions that we're seeing in these woke movements, which has largely organized, you know, a healthy green sensibility says something like, it is my responsibility to not offend you. And if I do, I will apologize. That's healthy green. This has been sort of inverted into it's your responsibility to never offend me. And if you do, you owe me an apology. Yeah, right on. You can't yeah. work with that. I mean, A, yeah. it's not oh, green. Wait, wait. Not just that, you owe me an apology and I have the right to punish you. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, exactly. It slides into these punitive kind of, no, that's, that's absolutely right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and, and that's why I love, you know, the, 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 the wake up, grow up, clean up, show up. I mean, that to me is like so simple and so clear and that we actively need to be engaging in all of those. And the forgiveness part is a massive big part of the cleanup, you know, and, and essential. Yeah. You know, I, I actually see factors of forgiveness in all four of those. Mm -hmm. I really do because forgiveness is, is, I mean, sort of the, the tone and the texture and sort of the, the radius of our forgiveness is largely going to be determined by where we are in the growing up process. It means one thing to forgive at amber, then it does at orange, then it does at green, then it does at teal and turquoise, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's aspects of forgiveness practice that um, come through our uh, waking up practice, right? Particularly when we begin to taste the currents of you know, uh, witness consciousness, non-duality, et cetera. There's just, again, there's a piece of this that seems to come online automatically. There's a piece of, of the bodhisattva vow, which requires ongoing commitment to forgiveness, right? Just to get itself off the ground. And this, I think, again, comes naturally online at some of these, at these, um, in these spaces of waking up. It's obviously a cleaning up practice for all the reasons that we've been talking about throughout the show. And then finally, if you don't have a forgiveness pr practice, then you are going to self-sabotage almost every single attempt to show up that you're gonna do. You're gonna feel this in your parenting, in your work relationships, your career, all the way down the line. Yeah, right. Well, and it, it has so much to do with, you know, in that showing up sector, it has so much to do with, um, if you haven't done the cleaning up, if you, especially with the parents, right. Um, then what you end up with is a lot of projection and transference when it comes to anything of anyone of authority, anyone mm -hmm. who has authority over you, um, within your intimate relationship. So, you know, these are the two places where I saw it in my own life a lot, um, was, oh, here it is. Here's, here's that thing, right? Here's, here's the work I haven't done because it's showing up, not with my parents, but in my marriage or in, you know, in a work situation with my boss, right? So those are the two places that I got to see it. And, um, and there's probably others as well. Um, but those are, you know, anything of authority and anything, anything of your, your primary uh, intimate relationship are both going to suffer if you haven't done that work. Mm. Yeah. Right on. And also, I think it leaks, you know, your resentment, it kind of like leaks, if even if you've got it against your boss, you know, there's, a, there's still it sort of whiffs. And also, I, I that, you know, you'd never put resentment down on, you know, when you're, you're on a dating site, you never say, you know, resent, bear grudges for years and never let people off the hook. You know, it's, you know, like, 
we, we know that a, a level at which there is a even though you know we were just saying that there's a there's a sort of societal you know predilection towards it but actually we there's something that we do find unattractive and i don't know if you've had the experience of being with somebody who really is resenting someone and they're talking about it and they keep talking about it and it's actually quite unpleasant because you, it's like you know that they're just feeding it's like they're eating something that's gone off you know mm. yeah. it's exhausting it's exhausting it's exhausting to be around that energy in my experience yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. wow so uh so you've had one of your sessions already mm -hmm. um, which is fantastic um we didn't even get to introduce you before you had that session um, and you have your next one coming up on the 19th, which is super exciting. Um, and I'm hoping that actually a lot of our audience tunes into this and, and comes to that session, because I think um, the seven steps that you have for making forgiveness easy is, is really something that people can easily access um, and, and, you know, walk through for themselves, but to be guided by you in, you know, somebody who's had so much experience in this is really a, a, a treasure. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And, and, and I love the idea of it being the forgiveness field, you know, that lovely roomy, roomy poem that is out beyond ideas of right doing and wrong doing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. And so that's what we're doing. We're creating the forgiveness field and then people are coming and bringing not their you know, biggest resentment. I don't recommend they bring mom or dad to, you know, to, to mind, but to do, to do the little things that the annoying things, you know, helicopters or a boss or a, you know, a, an old friend or something, you know, like things that you know that you haven't cleared up to practice. It's a bit like practice the practice so mm -hmm. that you can then um, know what you need to do. And, and also actually really, if you're gonna do a really deep process, it's probably better you do it with your therapist or with someone who can coach you through the process because it needs holding. So, yeah. you know, uh, the, you know the, if, if you had significant trauma, it's, it's better if you work with somebody. But well, it other seems than like that. It just seems like there's so many sort of um, targets. <laughs> <laughs> for mm -hmm. forgiveness practice to be focused on. I mean, we can talk about forgiving ourselves and our sort of hidden agendas and unconscious biases and shadows in the upper left, um, or forgiving our own sort of behaviors, um, you know, aberrant behaviors in the upper right. We can talk about forgiving each other in the lower left. Um, and we can talk about forgiving sort of civilization and society as a whole for some of the mm -hmm inequities that have been visited upon us and some of the inertias and currents of history that continue yeah. to visit us again and again. And we can, we can find a way to forgive that too, even yeah. while demanding that we together find a way to do better. Yes. Um, and and if, I love the idea that there is a master practice, a master code that cracks all of these sort of dimensions mm -hmm. of, of a forgiveness practice. Yeah. Um, that yeah, feels yeah. powerful to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and there is such a lot to it. It's so complex, you know, like you said, because there's, there's, there is so much to it and, you know, and, and having to do the admitting of it, you know, like there, there really is a soul searching that's going on as you're going to do engaging your process and is, you know, in the process, we actually, we take a higher perspective, you know, you start off doing, you know, like, you know, like the, the equivalent of the three to one process and you, mm -hmm. you're talking, you're dialoguing, but then at one, at another point you, you go higher so that you can take a, a, a higher perspective. 
and and see if there's other things that you haven't noticed about that and th mm. those two things can be really powerful taking the perspective of the other and then going higher yeah it feels like an abundance practice for any form of scarcity that you know might be in front of you at any given time whatever yeah. whatever, whatever the source of scarcity is that you're struggling with forgiveness is an abundance-based practice that will help you cut right through it, help you sort of hold it in a better, kinder, uh, more responsible way. Um, yeah. 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 And, and it's something to do when they, when you can't do anything, you know, like, like when you, when you are, when you're powerless in a situation, the, the only maneuver you've got, you know, I mean, we always think we can control everybody else. We know we're the only chess piece we can have any control over. But actually, internally, that's that's really where we have our power and, and where we can do what we can't do actually externally in the same way. I mean, we might there may be an external component, but it really is, you know, upper left, serious upper left work, which then benefits, you know, upper right and then our relationships and then, low, you know, like lower right. I mean, you can really see. But if you take the the power of the upper left and do everything that's in that you can do in that in that quadrant that then it does you know leak onto you mm -hmm. know you know benefit the other four and the other three yeah absolutely yeah all right do we have any final thoughts lisa that we want to bring into the show actually go on for another hour because I, I i would love for you to talk about the obstacles and all kinds of stuff but i know that <laughs> we had a certain amount of time we had set aside for this and i just think that this has been such a beautiful and rich conversation um and i want to thank you very very much for what you're bringing to the for the to the practice uh community and um and also just for being so present and you know, this obviously is a topic that is um, incredibly alive for you. And I love the energy that you're bringing uh, to it. So thank you. Amen. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you. It was almost delightful to have this conversation. So and be really happy to have another one if we want to go, you know, mm -hmm. another time. Yeah, I think we should absolutely pick it up again because there is just so much, um, you know, fascinating and rewarding, just in, immediately rewarding stuff for us to unpack together. So let's yeah. definitely do this again, just to make it clear for everyone who's watching. So this is going to be um, a practice that's available on the Integral Life Practice platform over at IntegralLife.com. Uh, I believe you're going to be offering it once a month. Is that correct? Yep. And the next session is going to be when? The 19th of July. The 19th of July. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh. This is a live practice, everybody. So that means you need to show up for it. <laughs> this right. is a recorded practice. That's right. All right. Well, thank you so much, Barbara, for your time and for thank just uh, yeah your contributions. Um, I, I absolutely love having you be a part of this practice platform. And it's just such a pleasure to spend time with you. Yeah. You too. Both of you. Thank you so much. Wonderful conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Thank All you. right, Lisa. We got another right. one in the can. I know it. I know it. This is good. So yeah, thank this you is good both. stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you both so much. And thank you everyone at home for watching us. And please do check out Barbara's upcoming forgiveness practice on the Integral Life Practice platform. In the meantime, I'm Corey DeVos. And I'm Lisa Frost. You I'm Le there you go. <laughs> yeah, wait, wait. Let's try it again. Wait, do it again. Ready? I'm Corey DeVos. And I'm Lisa Frost. <laughs> oh, we nailed our tag. That's awesome. Love it. Love it. All right. Thank you, everyone, for watching The Art of Practice. Until next time, see you later. Bye-bye.